This is the First United Methodist Church, Heber Springs, Arkansas. Today is January the 17th, 2016. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, second chapter, verses 1 through 11. Jesus has started his ministry, yet there have been no miraculous works done yet. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But... You have saved the best for now. This is the first of his miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, caring for us. We pray as your word is proclaimed that I get out of your way so your people can hear a word from you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've seen the commercials with these kids that have a mouthful of, of cookies, and the question is asked, got milk? Well, in the scriptures today, the question is, got wine? And the answer is, no. No wine. A miracle was needed to save this family, this new couple, Save them from this ultimate embarrassment of not being able to provide for their friends. They would be forever remembered in this small village of Cana as the ones who failed to take care of the needs of their guests. The story opens with these words. On the third day, John is preparing us for what is building up throughout the gospel of John. That Jesus Christ will be buried and on the third day he'd show up, having risen from the dead. He would then make preparations for this great wedding feast of the Lamb of God when he would gather together all who would be his guests in the kingdom of God. Jesus' first sign, they're not called miracles in John's gospel, but they're called signs, there are seven of them, would point to his final sign, which he would show in his glory. After Jesus and his disciples arrived at the wedding, Jesus' mom she approached Jesus and said, I don't have any more wine. And then the NRSV says, what does that have to do, or woman, what does that have to do with, with me and you? He's not being rude to his mother. In that day and age, it was a, a normal way of, of speaking. But anyway, Jesus' mother, knowing all along what Jesus, I'm sure, was capable of, and beginning a, his public ministry with his baptism, the calling of his first disciples, and on and on and on, she expects Jesus would do something wonderful. So she tells them, she tells them, do whatever he says. 
Do whatever Jesus says. You know, friends, miracles happen when we understand that Jesus cares about our everyday needs. Jesus' mother knew that Jesus cared about people. He cared about the needs of people, not just the spiritual things. He cares about people being unnecessarily embarrassed, those who are gossiped about, those that are put down and considered second class. Jesus cares about people enjoying themselves. He's the kind of guy, I don't know about you, but Jesus is the kind of guy that I want at my party. How about y'all? You go along with that? He knows how to have a good time. In fact, in the New Testament, we often see him at parties in which Jesus has been invited, and he's always, always the life of the party. They're always asking him something, or Jesus is always explaining something to, to the folks at the party. He in, Jesus enjoyed himself so much that his detractors called him what? Anybody know? A glutton and a drunkard. Now, why would they call him that? Oh, come on, church. Yeah. No one ever accused Jesus of promoting a dour, rigid, emotion-stifling religion. He's just the opposite. Whenever Jesus, wherever Jesus went, there was life. There was joy. He stated that his life mission was, as, as he said, that his joy, think about it, that Jesus' joy might be in us and that our joy might be complete. Is that not good news? He has come to bring us joy. And there's, there's joy in our world. He is the God of irrepressible joy. And he, Jesus has come to share that with us. He offers the wine of joy to those who are thirsty, for those who will come and drink. He takes care of our needs, both great and small. There's nothing too ordinary for us not to pray about. Not one thing. He is concerned with the little problems in, uh, of our life. He's concerned about the big problems in our life. If he was a little God, he would be able to take care of only the major things. But since you and I serve a great God, he is able to take care of all the things in our lives. Do you believe that? He sees every sparrow. The, the scripture says that one of these knot-headed sparrows can fall to the ground. And he knows it. And he knows it. Would you say that's a great God? He knows every hair on your head. For some of us, uh, more than others, but he sees, he sees these things. He's a great God who is too big. He's too big not to be concerned about the everyday things that's going on in our lives and with our kids and with our grandkids and, and, and on and on and on and on. There was a popular religious movement around the time of the founding of our country. It's called deism. Deism was opposed to Christianity's personal idea of God. Ben Franklin was one of them, by the way. They believed that God created the world, but that he wound it up like a clock and then left it to, and went and tended to other things. But that is a God who's too small to be our God. Our God lives and reigns. He is so personal that he promised to live within us if we will allow him to, to live in our hearts. 
if we'll allow that. He is so great, he's involved in every detail of this ongoing process of life upon this earth. He designs every snowflake. He calls for the storm, and then he tells the storm to be quiet. Ever tried that? Anybody? Maybe somebody's real smart that you know. Ask them sometime to do that. You know, hey, drum us up a storm, then tell it to be still. I wish I could whistle, but I can't. He, he whistles the birds and he calls them to their winter home. He holds the world together by his powerful hands. He knows your name. And he knows your need. This is the mighty God that we serve. Miracles happen when we understand that Jesus transformed our everyday experiences. Jesus didn't come to simply give us information. He came to give us a transformation. Jesus changes things. He has a way of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. He did not come simply to bring new ideas. He came to make new people. The water just did not appear to be wine. It was transformed into wine. The best of wine at that. Some people have trouble believing this kind of miracle, but it is only because they don't understand the kind of God we have. Actually, turning water into wine is something that God does pretty much every day. My my grandmother, my my mama Hoyer, uh, the only grandparents I ever knew was on my mother's side. She had a a little vineyard. It would rain and and the vines, you know, they'd take up the the water and the grapes, they they would get into, you know, whatever they do and they'd grow and everything. And she, bless her little, she wasn't a little woman, she was a big woman. Bless her heart, you know. She'd make wine until she found out how much I liked it. And then she she got to where she didn't make much of it anymore. But but I've seen this water in the wine business, you know. And so society wants us to get a new hairdo or a new wardrobe. Society wants us to have a better job or to learn a new skill. We want to lose weight. And even some want to get a facelift. Talked to a lady this past week that's about to have one. And she doesn't need it. Sort of. But she won't be watching this anyway. But Jesus, he doesn't want to change your looks. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your heart. You're pretty enough for Him. He wants to change our hearts. He doesn't want to give us a new suit. He wants to give us a new way of living. He doesn't want to rearrange us. He wants to transform us. We want to look better on the outside. He wants to make us new on the inside. And when that transformation takes place, it'll show on the outside every single time. When Jesus changed the water into wine, he didn't just change the color and fool the people's taste buds. He actually changed the water into wine. When the water was turned into wine, the shame of the bridal family was turned to joy. Here they have relief. We're not going to be called the ones that couldn't take care of our guests. The mood of the party was transformed. Jesus' disciples were transformed. 
The Bible says he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Here's what Jesus really came to do to transform us. The Jewish custom was focused on the importance of being ceremonially clean. The water jars were mostly empty because each guest had had been given water to wash their feet and, and their hands when they arrived. But this was not so much for cleanliness as it was for ritual purity. These, these jars of, of water were there in order to fulfill the Old Testament requirement for ceremonial washing. In John's way of mixing events and metaphors, the jars represented the Old Testament and, and its inability to, to make a person truly clean. When Jesus came into contact with these jars... Ritual cleansing. He transformed their contents. He filled the jars with new wine. The deadness of the Old Testament law was made alive with the wine of the new covenant that Jesus came to bring. Wine is the symbol of God's grace that comes into our lives undeserved and transforms us from the inside out. He says, Jesus says, I'm making everything new. The old system of having to live up to an an impossible legal code has been replaced with the wine of God's grace which washes away our sins. We're cleansed on the inside. This is not just a symbol. It's substance. Our sins are not just taken away, we have a changed heart. That's the key. We have a changed heart that desires to love God and to live our lives for Him. He places within us this holy desire to walk closer and closer and closer with Him each day. There is no limit to God's grace. What Jesus gives is never just enough. It's always, it's always more than enough with plenty left over. He didn't just give us enough trees. He created more than enough, didn't he? Sure he did. He didn't just create mountains. He created more than enough. He didn't just create enough oceans. He gave more than enough. He didn't just give enough life and joy. He has given us more than enough. Experienced something like that in, in Breckenridge, Colorado. We went out there and then went on up in, in, into the mountains. And I, I saw things, I, you know, old farm boy that I am, you know, uh, flowers growing out of rocks, you know, and trees on the side of a, up, not past the, the snow uh, cap or the freeze line, but, but below that, a tree sticking straight out from a, a mountain or something. What's up with that? You know, God paints his creatures with exotic color and beauty. That's what. Below the ground where no one has yet gone, God places gold and precious stones. He is, God is extravagant. God is extravagant. In very ordinary places, he places very extraordinary beauty. Let Jesus touch you. Let Jesus touch you and see if your life is not filled with new beauty and 
and new wonder. See if it's not like wine that gladdens the heart of humankind. Jesus is in the business of turning water into wine. Sinners into saints. Fear into courage. Sorrow into joy. Defeat into victory. Despair into hope. Death into life. That's the God we serve. Miracles happen when we understand that Jesus extravagantly provides for our everyday request. There they had it. Six jars containing, what, 20 to 30 gallons each. So at the very least, 120 to 180 gallons of, of, of wine. That's a lot of wine. There was no way that those guys there could have drank that much unless they'd had buddies like I have. But, but anyway, I mean, it's unreal. That, that's a lot of wine. Why did Jesus give so much wine? Why would he do that? Because he's an extravagant giver. Y'all with me? He never gives just enough. He always gives super abundantly. What the guests had tasted cautiously before, oh, we're going to run out, we're going to run out, we're going to run out, you know, don't, don't drink so much. They now drank in abundance. This is the same thing Jesus did. did you remember him feeding 5,000 men? With, what was it? A couple of fish or five fish and two loaves or something. I always get that backwards. But anyway, it's the same thing that he did there. And when everyone had eaten, they, they took up like 12 baskets full. He never gives just enough. Paul, the apostle Paul, he experienced this kind of extravagant grace for he said, even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord, there it is again, that grace. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it Abundant. We may consider ourselves poor by the world standards, maybe. But if you have Jesus, you're rich. You may think, well, I have nothing. But if Jesus lives and reigns in your heart, you have everything. Here's why. Because we have an extravagant God. A God who lavishes us with blessings. You know, we can go on and, and on and on, but God's grace means that he's generous. That means that you can ask for anything. You believe that? Huh? You really believe that? You're sure you believe that? I do too. Go talk to Pat Dudek and see what he believes. Pat Dudek believes that too. You see, God loves to bless us. Or as the hymn says, he comes to make his blessings flow. To a dying thief on the cross, he gave the gift of paradise. To a woman caught in an immoral act, he gave the gift of God's amazing grace and forgiveness. To a grieving father, he gave back a child from the grip of death. 
to the one who had denied him, not once, not twice, but three different times. Friends, he gave the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. He is lavish with his gifts. And to all of us who come with our request, he gives the promise of abundant life. Here and now and beyond this world, eternal life. I ask you, how can it get any better than that? As a Christ follower, how can it get any better than that? You remember in the story that when they filled the jars, they filled them to the brim. You heard that in your reading this morning. And when the master of the banquet tasted the wine, his eyes lit up. Don't you know then he thought, man, we are going to have a party. He could not believe what he was tasting. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after everyone has become drunk. But you have saved the best till now. Jesus always saves the best for last. This world puts the best up front and things go downhill from there. But when God shows up, things go from good to best. From here to here. John wrote, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Didn't say part of us have. It says all of us have. We have been filled to the brim with the blessings of God. One day as we enter his kingdom, we'll be treated to sights that we never dreamed possible. I'm assured of that. Absent will be everything that we have feared. And present there will be the best of everything. Heaven is where the deepest longings of our lives will be met. We will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Joy will overtake us and we'll say, you've saved the best till now. The Bible assures us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The best this world has to offer now is only a hint of what is yet to be. The difference will be as different as water is to wine. It's interesting that Jesus waited, or it is to me, waited until the resources had run dry before he performed this sign. They're called signs in John's Gospels, I said earlier. Only when the people came to the end of their supply were they ready to receive what Jesus had to give. Only when there was nowhere else to go, only when everything had dried up, were they ready. Sound familiar? John Piper, in an article entitled The Present Power of a Future Possession, said, The cost of food in the kingdom is hunger for the bread of heaven instead of the white bread of the world. Do you want it? Are you hungry? Or are you satisfied where you are? Likewise, the cost of new wine. That which Jesus is offering is thirst. Are you thirsty? Is the church thirsty? Do you want something more? If so, when you come to Jesus, guess what? You've come to the right place. When you come to Jesus, you've come to the right place. For he is the God of abundance. 
in life. He gives extravagantly. To receive this wine, you have to come to him with your thirst. As you stand there with your empty life, following the instruction of Jesus' mama, when she said, do whatever he tells you, I am convinced if we do, something wonderful is about to happen. A miracle. Thanks be to God. Amen.